Hey folks, in case you missed it, the single barrels have started rolling in. Both barrels of the Jack Daniels Single Barrel Barrel Proof Rye are available through Hudson Wine Market, with direct links in my social media pages and Instagram bio. These also went out to patrons with a special discount code. These barrels have been going so quickly that honestly, I don't even know if they're going to be any left by the time this is posted. So if they are available and you want them, trust me, don't wait because someone else is going to grab them first. Next up is the Barrel Rye finished in Armagnac casks. This is going live on October 2nd. This incredible pick was done in partnership with the guys at This Is My Bourbon Podcast. The Timbip guys are great friends, and I'm thrilled to have this barrel come into the shop. On October 2nd, Patreon members of both podcasts will have first dibs with free shipping for Patreon supporters. No limits, no minimums, free shipping for Patreon supporters. So up your Patreon pledge now if you want to grab them before everyone else and get that free shipping code. Just want to take a quick second. Thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart, thank you to all the supporters, especially my friends on Patreon. You've put a ton of investment into the pod and the site through the years. And as these single barrels start rolling out and additional products start rolling out, I'll keep providing as many perks as possible to those who have supported me along the way and continue to join. If you're not a patron, if I was on the outside, sounds like now's the time to join. All right, enough updates. Now on to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Today is a special bonus episode that, uh, if you're listening to it when it goes live, has some pretty fun news attached to it. So uh, here to join me for that news is Trip Stimson from Barrowcraft Spirits. Uh, he is, I'd say, probably you know number two guy at Barrow, right behind Joe Beatrice himself. Um, maybe even co-equals on that one, but he is a leading face of Barrow, of blending, and for uh blending in the spirits industry so trip welcome on thanks for having me david really excited to be here and talk about uh, all the goings on with the company and specifically uh, a, a certain barrel that you've selected so uh you know we're really looking forward to this awesome so uh yes we will start off with that barrel so uh it's been put in the show notes as you know coming soon it's been posted on social media but now as of this episode going live today, as you're hearing it, those barrels or that barrel, those bottles are now available. I'm so happy. So this is a barrel rye finished in Armagnac casks. It came in at a wonderful 120.14 proof. So 60.07 ABV. And I knew that as soon as I started to do barrel picks, for the podcast, for the website, the barrel was going to be at the top of my list to get. And I was thrilled when just as I was switching that part on, you guys came out with a private release series of the rye with all of these different finishes you could choose from. So uh, let's, we'll start with my barrel, but I want to ask about the other ones as well. So we're, we're really excited to, to launch the, you know, the rye uh, finish series. You know, we did the whiskey prior to, uh, we've done the bourbon as well. And, and rye was really the the next progression in, in the series for us. And, you know, in finishing rye whiskeys, it's really interesting to see how they actually hold these finishes uh, comparatively to whiskeys and bourbons. It seems like in, in a lot of these cases, and uh, specifically the one that you've chosen, the Armagnac, that the higher rye content in these particular barrels seems to want to hold on to in specifically the Armagnac, the, um, the, the sweeter notes from the brandy. Um, I find it real interesting in the one that you selected that there is quite a bit of spice, um, from the rye whiskey and it balances very well with the sweet notes from the, the brandy, um, and the oiliness, I think, from that is, is there as well. So you get a nice um, coating of the tongue from this particular sample. So uh, great choice, great selection for this. And I'm really glad you're finally getting your hands on this guy. Oh, yeah. And I should say, you guys turned around uh, the bottling and having those things ready faster than any company I've ever seen. It's usually uh, for people listening who may not have done a barrel pick before or, or haven't heard the back end process. It can it usually takes, I don't know months three four six months to get yeah. a barrel pick 
Um, I think you guys had the cases ready in about three weeks, which was just stupendous. Uh, but uh, yeah, so to jump off of your point, I, I totally agree. I mean, these notes, when uh, I try this, and I should say before I go any further, uh, this was picked not only by me, but also by this is my bourbon podcast. So Perry at Tim Bip helped me out with not just choosing it, but also confirming for me how above and beyond this barrel in particular was. So we had three options um, that I chose. We had the Armagnac, a Sauterne finish, and a Jamaican rum finish. Now, I love all three of those, and I've seen all three of them work as finishes, particularly with Rise. And I tried the, the Sauterne first, and then the other one, and then the Armagnac last. I liked the first two, and then the Armagnac just was explosively good. The as you said, the spice of the rye really held up, but it was aged or finished long enough in that Armagnac and that brandy to really get all those dark, jammy, brandy-esque flavors in there as well, without either part being lost, which is a big thing because you know you've done a ton of finishing. You know how hard it is to get that balance between spirit and finish. You're 100 percent right. It is um very detailed and very intentional the steps that are taken to make sure that that balance remains because you know there's there's nothing worse than a finished product when you you taste the product and either the finish isn't there like you're looking for it and you can't find it or mm -hmm. when you taste it the only thing you taste is the finish and it's like well what, what, where's all the whiskey you know what kind of whiskey mm -hmm. is this and, and then you know all these things start you know flowing through your head it's like are you trying to cover something up is you know, did you get something wrong? And and so we pay very close attention to that balance between the underlying whiskeys that are in whichever finish we're working on and sort of the, you know, the, the contributing uh, flavor congeners from the finish tasks to make sure that one doesn't overshadow the other and that there's just enough balance between the two to where you get the overall experience of both of those components uh, in, in the blend. And uh, so I, I know that we can't reveal the name of the Armagnac house from which the barrels came. Uh, so I won't ask you that question, but I'm hoping I can maybe ask instead the characteristics of the source of the Armagnac barrels that made you and the barrel team choose that source for the casks. So specifically, there are different types of Armagnac casts that we have. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure which one we used for this. However, I have a pretty good idea um which one it is just from the the um like you said the the jammy sweetness, the oiliness uh that sort of lingers in this blend. I have a pretty good guess, but I'm 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 not gonna be able to say for certain which one that is. So let's look at it from a different perspective. So you, the company decides you're going to release this new line extension, private release, Rise series, finished Rise. Uh, and I think the initial list was something like 10 finishes available. Um, of course, the three that I mentioned, plus some wine casks, some uh, additional rum casks. And uh, as you were, I, I'd love to just go through that kind of thought process with you of how that project developed and how you came up with kind of those 10, if anything was left out. Okay. So, you know, as I said previously, we had done some uh, finishes in the mm -hmm. private release series with whiskey initially, and then also the bourbon. And what this process has taught us over the years is that, when you put blends together or you finish products, a lot of times something that you wouldn't think would work well with something else oftentimes turns out better than you think it will. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just experiment with all kinds of things. And, you know, it's not to say that everything we did is a home run, but, you know, when, when you start thinking about using, um, 
you know, uh, rye whiskey in an Armagnac barrel or, you know, rum in an Isle of Scotch cask, let's say even. And we could talk about that, you know, some other time, but that's a fun project too. Um, the way the flavors work uh, is, is fascinating um, because you have this preconceived notion that it's going to go a certain direction and that it either will or it won't work. But to actually do the experiment and gather the data is uh, a, a really the, the best way to do this because there's lots of great surprises that can come out of this. And so these we've really honed our skills in on um, how to do this and, and, and really what to expect. So the, you know, the, the main 10 that we, that we chose uh, were, were just ones that we thought would work the best with the rye. Um, and so we, you know, we set up the experiments and there's, you know, there's, there's probably in total, I think there's 40 or 50 in, in total that, that we've gone through uh, that uh, are either different concentrations of blends of whiskeys finished uh, or could be individual types of whiskeys finished for different lengths of time in the different finishing casks. And all of those are going to generate different products, right? Um, different flavor concentrations based on the either the blend or the time in the barrel are going to create um, the the nuanced um, flavor congeners that you're, you're going to find in these individual products. So it's uh, it's it's really going through the steps of generating the data to decide which one of these uh, or which grouping of these that we wanted to put in the bottles. And since uh, we already have the cask, we've already got the bottles in store, so it's not going to affect anything. Uh, are you willing to reveal which one of those might be your favorite? Which in in it's in in all out of all of them. Well, let's say of the, uh, of the rise, let's say. I like the Armagnac. I think you made an excellent choice with that one. And again, the way the way the rye and the sweetness from the the brandy cat, the Armagnac casks work work together is one that I really enjoy. And and Armagnac as a finish in and of in and of itself with not only rise, but also bourbon, I find uh, very attractive. Can't argue with that. <laughs> so in addition to talking about the rye, of course, it's a bonus episode with the launch of the rye. Um, and before we go uh, into the next set of questions, I did just want to mention that not only is this rye finished in Armagnac going to be going live at the time, of this recording going live. But if you are a patron of the show, you will also be getting free shipping from the store for one bottle, six bottles, two cases worth. Let's show the folks at Barrel what we can do with those, maybe set ourselves up for a second pick at some point. Uh, but yes, for patrons, uh, at $5 a month or more, you are going to get free shipping on these bottles. So throwing that out there, uh, I don't have a freeze period. If you want to join, please do. There's going to be a lot of benefits coming up. And trust me, you're not going to want to drop out after just one month. And with that said, we move us into the uh, next thing I want to talk to you about, which was that congratulations are in order. That Barrel recently not only hit the 10th anniversary, but opened a brand new facility in Jefferson Town, a suburb of Louisville. Now, I was uh, very fortunate to attend the grand opening. It's a beautiful ceremony. We had local dignitaries. Of course, uh, you spoke, Joe spoke, and then we got to taste the 10th anniversary bourbon blend and take a tour of the facility. And I think, number one, it was just fun to see all the people in the room and who showed up for this and i think you guys had a great turnout not only in numbers but in quality of people who were in that room <laughs> uh, and i'd love to just talk to you about it so when when did the idea for this facility start kicking around so well thank you david for the congratulations and i'm glad you're able to make it it was a real special day for us um it 
we, we've been working on this facility for a long time and it really goes back 10 years and sort of the inception of barrel and how we set things up 10 years ago with the idea of moving forward. And at that time, you have to understand that there were lots of people trying to get into the spirit space. And at that time, everybody thought you needed a distillery. And so, you know, that's, you know, when I was, I, then I was consulted prior to working with Joe, I was doing a lot of consulting. And one of the things I would try to talk people into is to build a brand and not necessarily, you know, go, go jump in with both feet into a, a, a huge project like building a distillery, especially if you've never done anything like this before. And so, you know, Joe and I were very aligned on that idea. Joe had done a lot of homework and figured this out himself is what we really wanted was the brand and to grow the brand organically over time and then justify the need to have the, the facility. So for many years, we actually would use leased space um, and contract facilities to do all of our blending and bottling. Uh, so that for the first three or four years, that's what we did. And we actually didn't get our first space uh, until you know the end of 2016, early 2017. We actually released our first space that we where we will a where we were able to uh, you know bring barrels in. We we actually got our own DSP. We were able to to blend and bottle and do everything in house without using contract work. And so you know as we're um, operating out of this lease space, it, it was a it was a very small space by comparison, uh, especially with what you saw. Uh, here with this new facility, um, we were constantly designing through problems uh, with smaller facilities and the way we were operating and constantly thinking about what what would the next facility look like? So as as we're growing as a brand, what would we need? How would we want it to work? You know, through our experience with our processing and our bottling, how do we want to lay this out? What's the most efficient way to do things what's the safest way what's the most effective way and so over the years we really put a lot of uh, intentional thought into the layout of what we would want to build into a facility uh, and then in 2000 and the end of 2021 we bought a 30,000 square foot building and tore everything out of it there wasn't much in there to begin with but we tore out all the electric we tore out all the sprinkler system uh, you know, we jackhammered up concrete, you know, we, we literally took this thing to uh, a blank slate and then spent months with, um, uh, engineers and architects and really intentionally laid this facility out for the way that we operate. Uh, so the office spaces are specifically designed, the bottling facility is specifically designed as, uh, and also the, uh, blending processing space specifically designed for the way we operate, the way we create products, the way we work as a team. So it's it's it was a it was a really proud day for us uh, being able to to stand there and, and share that with all of our supporters from over the years because it's been a a, a long road. It's been a great road, uh, but doing things a little differently than the um, than the than the industry is used to and, and setting the goal and attaining that goal. Uh, we're, we're very proud of that. And I should say, I mean, during the celebration, the grand opening, uh, we had as, as media, as friends of barrel, we had some really unfettered access to, to the entire facility. We were able to walk through and see everything. And I know that's not necessarily for, uh, for the public to be walking through the bottling room, but, um, this was before, uh, you know, things weren't operational while we were doing that, of course. Uh, but I was still impressed by it because, you know, we could take pictures of everything. There was nothing hidden. And, um, I think this is something that it took me a while to realize, but is very true is that you guys, and I'm hoping I'm not, this is not going to come out too, um, sycophantic, but, you guys pushed the boundaries of two really important things. Um, number one being uh, transparency in sourcing. 
Uh, so I know NDAs prevent in uh, most cases, if not all cases, uh, you saying from exactly where in, let's say, Kentucky, Indiana, um, Tennessee, New York, uh, that whiskeys came from. Sometimes, occasionally, we might know it just because there's only one that can support in Indiana kind of thing or things right. like that um, or Tennessee for a while. But, uh, you know, it would in just in showing the states that you were doing, I remember, I think there was a new year's release that was, that had seven states on it. And then mm-hmm. in talking to the team, um, I think it was talking to Will Shragas, who was with you at the time. Uh, he said, well, you know, it's seven states on there, but it's not, it's more than seven distilleries because some of the states right. have multiple distilleries. So there's an element of transparency of uh, kind of as far as you can go transparency, which needed appreciation. But there's also the more, I think the more important one, which is pushing us forward with blending. And I don't think it's too much to say that Barrel has done more than any other brand to promote blending as a good word, again, in whiskey. An American whiskey, uh, and it's—I think it's something that's worth noting because well, we still see a, pre- a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to say I, I appreciate you saying that. It's, um, you know, we feel like you know we we have been sort of on the leading edge of the the innovation of of blending and 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 finishing and and sort of this this quest for for flavor and flavor concentration. And, you know, when we, when we first started this, you know, Joe and I were talking and I remember this conversation very vividly, um, where we're talking about being blenders. And if we're going to be blenders, then we need to own the fact that we're blending. And, you know, we, we were already doing all of these things and the transparency and all those things were, were, were there and they were happening already, but it's, uh, you know, the, the, the stigma around blending because, you know, the history of blending, if you look into it, you know, people used to put, you know, what is it, late 1800s, early 1900s, people were putting all kinds of stuff in cheap whiskey, calling it bourbon. And and so, uh, you know, laws passed, things changed, but people still remember that when they were calling things or when they were saying they were blending, they were putting things in there that weren't supposed to be there necessarily to try to make it something that it wasn't. And so that stigma has been around for a lot of years. But our focus has always been 100% on what we put in the bottle. So by creating, um, by by we'll say by blending, we are taking products that are created to the very best of the distillery's ability from you know wherever the product's coming from, and we're finding ways to layer in those flavor congeners and those flavor profiles with other places who have done the same thing but their whiskey might be a little different. Maybe they use a different yeast strain or a different grain bill uh, or, you know, different maturation process, barrel char, what have you. And their finished product is a great product, but it's going to be different from somebody else's. And by focusing on the flavor congeners in each of these types of whiskeys that we're talking about and being able to layer those together so that you still get to taste everything, like we were talking about with the rye and the Armagnac. Keeping the flavors available so that you don't lose things and you don't cover things up. That's the magic in blending, is taking these things and putting them together and creating something that is greater than the sum of its parts so that they complement each other. Uh, so you get a full flavor experience and not just a, a, a glass of whiskey or a shot of whiskey. There's much more going on in there. And so we're very intentional about how we put these things together with that exact thing in mind. I think that's been well, uh, well communicated, both in what you just said, but also in, in the marketing that's gone out in the communication that you do with fans, with consumers, in that I, I think back on a lot of the barrel releases that I've gotten to try, both uh, first as a, just as a consumer and a fan of whiskey, and then later on, recently as as a media person getting to try samples that are sent and and things that aren't necessarily available and as with i think any good company or any company period in the whiskey industry of course i haven't liked every single blend i don't think sure i mean it i don't think it's reasonable to like every single one that that would be a little weird uh, um uh. 
but I I've written in several re- reviews of Bauer products. I think that even if I didn't like the end product, the intentionality and the care was still very noticeable. You still knew, or I still knew that it might not be to my palate, but someone thought about this blend. Someone worked on this blend, whether it's from two distilleries or seven or 10, and someone else is going to like it because it's still a well-made product. Uh, And that I think ties back to these new releases with the, with the rye blend, but also the ones you've done with bourbon and American whiskey in that for me, at least as someone, as a consumer, as media, and also as someone picking a barrel, it's easier to do, especially with a finish when you know that the underlying product is good. Cause then you can just focus on, does the finish work with it? And in this case, it, it works beautifully the spicy rye the jammy fruit there's there's so much flavor in it and that's the biggest thing for me Um, but overall though just knowing that there's a good product underneath that someone has put care and time into makes the pick a lot easier well and and to that point you know i'd like to to also say that when when we put these products together when we think about these things and we develop these products we're doing that from from the mindset of a consumer in a lot of ways because you know i'm a consumer joe's a consumer nick's a consumer you know we we all we we like to buy products we like things that that bourbons that taste good and so as we're constructing these things these products that we're we're blending we're looking at it through the lens of a consumer maybe not a hundred percent but we're we're still thinking you know I, if I'm I'm a consumer, I'm going to go buy this product. What am I going to think about this? You know, I pour this in the glass. What's the experience? How does it look? How does it taste? How does it smell? And we're going through those exercises because we understand what it's like to buy something you don't like. And to to your very point, you you see the effort that we put into this. And so every time you see a barrel bottle, you know what kind of effort has gone into creating that product, whether you like it or not. You know, you understand the effort it takes to create these types of things. I think to that end and to that point, as we walk through the the production facility, uh, and these are all in, in pictures that I know I posted on, on social media and such, you can see there's a there's both ends of the spectrum. There's the tasting lab where it's it looks like a laboratory where you've got tables and there are beakers in the corner and graduated cylinders. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are just massive towering uh, mixing vessels that these products are coming out of. So you get the micro level and the macro level, and it gives you, it certainly gave me an appreciation for how you take something on the small and expand it and see how it works on that macro level. Um, which I, it just made me think of a question. Uh, have you ever had a case where you mix something and you blend something really well, or that you think is really good on a micro level, and then you expand it into a larger product using that those balances and specifications, and you find it just didn't taste the same, it didn't come out the same? That happens quite a bit, actually. You know, we we have a process for how we step these things up. And if I back up a little bit, you know, we're working with, you know, in some cases, individual barrels, but in some cases, we'll have uh, sort of a representative blend of a a lot or a grouping of barrels that we'll use as the component in order to get a, a, a better representation of the barrels once they're dumped. Because as I'm sure you're well aware, even if two barrels created on the same day, put in the same rickhouse side by side in 10 years, those barrels are not going to taste identical, right? There's going to be some variation along the way. There's a, there's a hundred different places where you can gather variation throughout their, their lifespan. So by the time we actually get these barrels, a lot of times they don't taste exactly like they're supposed to, or maybe they're not all the same. There's going to be inherent variation in in everything that we're using. So we kind of have the expectation that, it's going to be a little bit different. So as we're 
you know, systematically building up the, the, the blend volume and the different concentrations, uh, we'll, we'll make smaller adjustments to try to keep it as close to the lab blend as we can. You know, taking something from 20 mils in a Glencairn glass to a 10,000-gallon tank, it's not necessarily a straight line. You know, it, it takes a little bit of creativity sometimes to make sure you hit the target. It's good to know. I have never asked that question before. And of course, practically it makes sense, but yeah, who knows? Someone could have just as easily said, yeah, it works just fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, this number of barrels, you know, percentages, it works out just fine. But, um, but again, it highlights yeah. the care, you know, what, that you're going to have variations and thus you can anticipate them and try to adjust. So that's right. So how many, uh, of those tanks did you have? I didn't count them while I was there. So we've got, there's four 6,000 gallon tanks and four 10,000 gallon tanks. So it's 64,000 total new uh, blending tank volume uh, for us. And then we've got, currently we have our, our two existing uh, 6,000 gallon tanks and then a couple of smaller tanks that we have uh, that, we, that we use as well. So it's a good estimate. You probably have around like 80,000 gallons of space to uh to mix with across the yeah, different facilities yeah yeah i think if you count if you count all the totes and everything we have it's a, it's up over a hundred wow so of course the the obvious answer to this question is um to say you can do a lot but what does this facility and having all that additional room not only to blend but to house barrels to have a brand new large bottling room um, and all of these different spaces what does this new facility allow you to do that you really couldn't do before so it's going to do a couple of things one just the sheer size and volume and capacity of the the, the building and the equipment and everything it's just going to allow us to do more right um it's also going to allow us to do more at one time. Uh, it's also been, it has also been designed through our experience with smaller facilities to be extremely efficient. So when you work, when you work in, in a small space, you get very good at navigating tight spaces and, and you know, moving things a hundred times to get to one thing and then moving everything back. And so we, we, we took all these lessons that we learned to, and created this space so that we now have a much larger physical space to allow us to do larger quantities of different projects and multiple projects at one time. And in addition to that, we also bought a rickhouse uh, back in at the end of last year. Uh, an 18,000 barrel rickhouse, which really layers into this nicely because when you don't have any space, you're, you're able to maybe blend in house, but you can't store anything there. So you're in a just in time uh, business where you're trying to get your, uh, all of your raw bottling goods, uh, your barrels, everything there just in time to dump the barrels, put the blend together, put it in a bottle and ship it all back out. And so that logistical nightmare has been our life for you know however many years now just trying to make sure everything shows up when it's supposed to so that we can get the job done now, now that we have a rick house you know we can take possession of a large majority of our barrels and then when we need them we can just drive down to the rick house and get them bring them back to our facility and process everything there so we have enough room to have all the raw material on site uh, the barrels are you know just a few miles away so now we've taken all of the, the uh, just-in-time knowledge that we gathered over the last handful of years and put all that to good use in designing this facility. So now we can get our barrels quicker. We can store things longer. We can do larger volumes. We can do multiple projects at once. And we, can, uh, we have much higher throughput uh, on our bottling lines too. So, and then everything in processing actually communicates with bottling so there's no real transport of liquid back and forth it's all it's all piped and integrated and the the uh, pumps and fillers and everything talks to each other so it's just it's extremely efficient 
And the oh, this question uh, just thought of was so that this particular barrel that we picked, it was the ride that just finished in Armagnac casks for twelve months. Um, so you said you bought the Rickhouse, uh, the eighteen thousand barrel Rickhouse last year. Uh, in the interim, where if if these barrels needed finishing, um, where were you able to age them or mature them? They actually stayed at our other facility. So in, in the uh, in our other facility, we had space we could put about a thousand barrels on pallets stacked, and we could still manage to work around those barrels. It was extremely difficult, but we sectioned off some of that space so that all of the finishing barrels could stay in house, so we could pull samples. And so, what what that also did is by having to remove some of the barrels that were normally there to allow room for the finishing barrels, that then adds another cog in the wheel to the just-in-time process because when we needed those barrels, they had to be brought back in as well. So you know, there, there's this constant juggling act and, and logistics game that we play. This month's Impact Spotlight is on a new whiskey from Adelphi, McLean's Nose, a new blended scotch whiskey expertly crafted to have a West Coast character with both a high malt content at 70% and a high proportion of ex-sherry casks. McLean's nose is both a nod to Arden Market's rugged western peninsula home with its beautiful landmark on the south coast of the peninsula and as an homage to the long mentorship they've received from Mr. Charles McLean. McLean is an undisputed legend, affectionately referred to as the Chief Nose, since 1993 when the Adelphi name was revived as an independent bottler by Jamie Walker. Bottled at a super approachable 46% ABV, this is the perfect dram to sip while reading one of Charlie's acclaimed books. At an even more approachable $35 a bottle, this is a must-buy, especially for those of us who, much as we must love bourbon, are going to be fully bourboned out by the end of this month. Join me in the dram and look for McLean's nose in your favorite whiskey shop near you. The Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. Makes sense. And it's it sounds like between the designed and built-in efficiency, the increased space that these uh, challenges that you might still have are they're good challenges to have because it means the uh, more difficult ones of logistics are taken care of. So and it was it was just a beautiful facility. Um, I I was very fortunate to to look through it. People can see the pictures uh, and just again, congratulations on it. It's a great, thank you. It's a great move. And uh, so while I was there, obviously, like I said, we got to see uh, the sample room, the room of uh, where the barrel releases line the walls and had different um, fill levels, of course, because people are trying them and <laughs> all that. One room in particular really piqued my interest, and it was, um, I'll paint a visual picture for, for you so you know where I'm going, but when you go off the entry hall and the tour started, you go past the bottom of the room, it's on your right, and you go straight, and it looks like a mini lab where you're on the right-hand side, you've got uh, metal shelving with a lot of the different releases, and then on the left mm -hmm. side, there's a desk, there's also more releases, but just inside on the left-hand side, there were a lot of barrels, or sorry, a lot of bottles, I should say, that were not barrel, that they were uh, from other brands. They weren't necessarily in the branded bottles, let's say, but they look more like, you know, they were decanted or, or sampled from, but they were from many, many different brands. And I, I won't mention which ones right now, but I was curious as to the purpose of those, um, that set of bottles, if you will. Um, are you talking about our sample room that had all, all of, yeah, so it was a sample room. Um, so like all the, the barrel ones, the labeled barrel, uh, bottles and samples were on the right hand side as you enter, but then there yeah. was a set of shelving on the left that had from different distilleries and different, uh, producers. And I was just curious, you know, is that just curious the purpose of, of that? Well, I think if if we're talking about the same room, the sample room on the left hand side, there's a shelf that has lots of sample bottles that we uh, 
that are there because we're we're pulling samples out of uh, barrels. So we'll pull periodic samples out of barrels that we're finishing. And a lot of those are different size bottles and different shape bottles, just, you know, based on, um, you know, cost wise, you know, you can just use sample bottles or it'll be a lot cheaper than, than our, uh, than our nice bottles for a finished product. Um, but I don't, I'm not aware of any, um, other brands that would have been in there, but if they were, I mean, we buy bottles all the time. I'm curious what other people are doing. Um, I like to try other things. Um, uh, again, back, back to the, uh, what we were talking about earlier, I'm a consumer too. And I like, I like to sample other stuff and, and be able to have conversations with uh, other people in the industry about what they're working on and how projects turned out. So, yeah, I mean, if, what, if, if there were other samples in there, I mean, we buy samples regularly, just, just to have an idea. I figured that's probably what it was. And I'll see if I can find a picture of it. I'll send it to you after just to, to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Because if not, okay. I'll just cut this and, you know, because then I'm not presenting right. But um, yeah, it was from different different companies. And I figured the first thing I thought of was, I mean, they're doing so much work. They being you guys at Barrel are doing so much work with blending, trying, finishing that, um, yeah, you got to keep an eye on the competition, on even friendly competition to see what other companies are doing with this. You know, and, and it's and it's it's funny too. I don't even really think about it as competition. You know, we don't. It, it's not a it's not a back and forth for us really. And we do things that we like to do. You know, we're 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 out in front on a lot of these things, and um, it's I don't view it necessarily as competition. I'm just I'm a curious person when it comes to uh, bourbons and whiskeys, and especially if it's something that I haven't seen before or something that's been hyped up a lot. I like, I like to try those things and just, you know, as, as the consumer side of me comes out and says, wow, this is, this is good. They did a nice job with this or man, I really don't care for this. And I, maybe they should have done X, Y, or Z. So, you know, the consumer comes out and then, you know, I, the, the scientist takes over. It's like, well, this is what I, maybe I, I would have done uh, to avoid, you know, X, Y, or Z. So. You know, I have, I have a question that I, two questions actually that I really want to ask you that are more um, open-ended, but I think that leads perfectly into a different one, which we'll jump into, which is the cask finishing series that Barrels recently released. So the first two releases are the Barrel Bourbon um, cask finish series in Ambarana, and the second one being in the Tale of Two Islands casks. Got to try both at the distillery yeah. and was uh, fortunate to get Sample sent to me as well um, on behalf of Barrel, so thank you for that. So I could taste at home because you know everything tastes better in in the in the. I keep saying distillery, I mean production facility, but everything tastes better yeah. on site. Um, so the Tale of Two Islands was one of my favorite releases you've ever done. Uh, I, oh wow, you got one of those. Good for you. Yeah, it. I loved it. Um, the original, uh, the gray label. Loved it. And to see the bourbon finished in it was really fascinating. And I, I would love to dive into that one. Um, no pun intended with the island of diving, but uh in the you know 15, 20 minutes or so we got, I gotta ask first about the Ambarana. So we know we've seen that is a it's a big trend right now. A lot of companies using Ambarana. Um some doing okay, some really overdoing it. Um <laughs> And um, I'll be fully transparent. It's it's one of those trends that I'm kind of wish wishing will go away sooner than later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that being said, uh, the I had written a review recently um, about another one of my favorite blenders and and uh, finishing houses, which is Doc Swinson's. And um, love what Jesse and the team are doing over there as well. And I often look to them when it comes to finishing. To see like well if anyone can really do it right it's probably either doc docs or barrel like it's one of you two if not both and i tried their umbrella finished bourbon i liked it i still felt like the umbrella was just so it's such a powerful flavor that and i know from from speaking to the team that they were finishing like some of the barrels they use finished in the umbrella for a couple of days 
not even a long time, a couple of days up to two weeks at the maximum. So we're talking some very short time and a ton of flavor. Uh, and even then I was kind of like, it's, it's good, but it's still too much. <laughs> um, and with, uh, with barrel yours profiled slightly differently to me. Like it was, uh, more heavily on the like cinnamon pastry, cinnamon toast crunch side of things, as opposed to the cinnamon essential oil that can really blow out a palate. Um, so I've, I'd love to, um, to hear the process for how you guys use the Amarana and uh, what may have gone right or wrong during the process and how we got the product that we have now. Yeah, it's Amberana can be very polarizing, um, just the flavor profile in and of itself. And I've, I've had others and uh, it's, you, you can, you can, you can really overdo it hands down you can really overdo it and it's not hard to overdo it um also worth noting um there are lots of different alternatives uh amberana alternatives so spirals uh chips um you know di different types you, you you can buy them in a bag so in some case and i'm not suggesting this is what any that specifically uh, doc swenson's is doing mm -hmm. but i do know that these are available and people will use these types of chips or spirals as an Amberana finish. And I don't think you get the same sort of flavor contribution from spirals or chips that you get from an actual Amberana barrel. Um, the barrels are very expensive and they're tough to find. Um, and also, um, you know, finding barrels that are, sustainably harvest that have a chain of custody is even more difficult to find. And so that's one of the things. So we started this process, uh, you know, over a year ago, just it, as knowing that Amberana was very flavor, uh, very flavorful, very different. It was uh, very interesting to us. So we started playing with this over a year ago uh, and found a, a couple of different sources of uh, actual barrels and began our experiments. Um, but, you know, we know where our barrels came from, you know, where in the uh, in the forest they were they were chopped down. We know where the wood went, how it was processed, the cooperage who who raised the barrels. And it's been all over the world and then back to us. Uh, so that, that's a that's a really fascinating piece of this and being able to say that that this that these barrels were sustainable or that the wood was sustainably harvested. Uh, you know, we're, we're really proud of that. Um, but in the process of flavor contribution and actually finishing using these barrels, it, I mean, we, we had uh, flavor, good flavor contribution in a couple of days as well. Um, you know, it, you can let them go out weeks or months. Um, we didn't necessarily do it that way, but over time that flavor becomes very, very, very concentrated. And with Amberana, it's unlike anything else you'll you'll experience. And if you if you've not had it, I would encourage you or anyone listening to this to try one. You know, so in some cases you like it or you don't. Um, but by blending these things, uh, blending these whiskeys that come out of these casks uh, carefully and intentionally, so that you can mellow the Amberana notes. The um, the the baking spice and the clove that, that can be overwhelming. You you can blend those down enough to where they're there, but you can still taste the whiskey. And so I that was that was really what took us the time was to make sure that we were able to blend the whiskeys in such a way that the Ambrana characteristics were still there, but we didn't want you to you know, open the bottle and, and pour out a, a, a drink and just taste Amberana, you know, because it's as good as it is, you can have too much of a good thing. We really wanted the balance. We really wanted the, the different concentrations uh, to shine through on the whiskey side. And uh, I feel like we, we accomplished that very well with this particular product. I would agree. Um, I, I can say just from the Doc Swinson side, just before I forget, uh, they also did what you do with the barrels, the sustainable harvesting. Um, but I also oh, know other good. companies that did 
chips or staves or or spirals uh and i think i mean my ultimate opinion on ombrana like i said is still it it's a trend it's it can be really flavorful but so many people have kind <laughs> of overdone it that um i i agree with you i hope people go out and try one my hope is that they will try ones like the barrel ombrana which are more controlled uh because that's a better showing of how not only what ombrana is but how it should be used and a recognition of what you were saying that this is a powerful flavor that continues to concentrate um this is not something you leave whiskey in for a year uh you know so <laughs> yeah. i can't like that must be just cinnamon aftershave or baking spice aftershave after <laughs> a year. um yeah I know, I know at least one distillery that did age it that long, and uh, I do not want to try that bottle. Um, it's just, oh it's my just goodness! I, I can't imagine. No. Um, but anyway, it, it. But I wanted to to ask that because it's clear that how not only where it comes from, but how you use the Ambrana and what form is so important that it was uh, it was worth asking to to know how you guys did it and. So I still, between the two, I will still say I, I like the Tale of Two Islands uh, just a little bit better because, again, it's more, to me, it's it evokes that sense memory from the original Grey Label. So it comes back to me that way. Um, but I'm happy to share the Amarana yeah. with, with my friends as well to show them that, yes, it can be done. <laughs> it can be done. <laughs> Yeah. It's, um, it's really funny that you were able to get your hands on one of the um, uh, Tale of Two Islands bottles back in, what was that, 2018, I guess? Something like that, yeah. I don't know if you've heard the story, but I'll, I'll tell you real quickly. When, when yeah. we came up with that, th this was a, uh, um, a one, one of the Blue Sky, I talk about Blue Sky meetings where it's just, let's, let's just come up with ideas. Let's talk about off-the-wall stuff. Let's, let's, you know, come up with finishing ideas or blending ideas, whatever it is, and and so this day, Joe and I were sitting in the lab and we had we probably had 20 samples in front of us, whatever it was, just some of the most off the wall stuff that, that, that we could think of and, and put all these blends together and we lined them up across. And, you know, of those 20 or so samples, most of them were OK. Uh, there were a couple good ones. And then the very last one we tried was this uh, eight year old Jamaican pot still rum finished in an Isle of Scotch cask. And it's like. You know, I never thought this would work, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing that the the full flavored rum with just the touch of the peat, and it's like these things should not work well together like this. This this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was fantastic. It was absolutely. I wish we had more of it. I and I I think it worked super well, especially because you had the Jamaican rum, like a really strong estuary jamaican mm -hmm. rum very high estuary. yeah yeah if if it was a different kind of rum like a, even a barbados rum you know i think foursquare is a great distillery they put out some great rums i don't think it would have worked mm -hmm. uh but yeah i think it's a case where you really need strong flavors it's, i mean it's peat when you're dealing with peat yeah. you need something to to stand up against uh, the peat 100 percent. yeah and it yeah it was just such a great bottling that was one of the first um, premium or super premium. I don't know what it would be considered today, but you know, super premium bottles that I bought for myself and I did it because I knew that I liked the components of it. I actually, I didn't know that I liked Jamaican rum as much as I do now, but, uh, you know, good Jamaican rum is good Jamaican rum. And yes, it is. And yeah, that's, I think I still have maybe an ounce or two left of that. Um, as you said, there's never enough in, uh, a memory now hopefully one day it can be recreated but still it's a nice memory to have yeah well and and then sort of you know taking you know, sort of continuing i guess uh along the same lines with with that product you know we we held on to those barrels uh so those mm -hmm. isla scotch casks and the original barrels that the rum showed up in we held on to those and, and have had whiskey in them or, or bourbon in them and so that that's what the the release we're talking about the tale of two islands finish is bourbon finished in those two casts and then and blended together to to create the product so it's 
you know, in a in a in an interesting way, the the project sort of lives on a little bit because you know you when you taste the bourbon, you're going to get the rum, you're going to get the the estuary oily um, uh, coated tongue, and, and you're going to get a little bit of touch of peat in there too. And so it's like it's uh you know it's, it's sort of reminiscent of 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 the tale of two islands blend. So we're real happy with that one. So as you're celebrating the 10th anniversary of Barrel opening this new facility, uh, more line extensions from the private release rye finish uh, to the cask finishing series, uh, and what we'll talk about uh, in the next question, a new another new line extension. Uh, from an insider's perspective, who's really been there since the beginning or, or nearabouts, how do you think Barrel has evolved? over these 10 years? So that's a really good question. And when you look back 10 years at, at where we started, first and foremost, flavor focused on what we're putting in, in the bottle and start out just blending bourbon. Um, you know, it, it didn't take long, you know, it wasn't long after that where we started blending you know, with, with different types of whiskeys also. So we had the, the blends. Uh, and then we started moving in toward finishing and, you know, all of these steps were progressive steps toward finding more places to get flavor that we can concentrate into a product. And so, you know, we, we, we started finishing with one type of cask, which created a product, but then it was, okay, well, if we can do this with one cask, should we do two or two or should we try three? And, you know, the, the, the knowledge and experience that we gained from going through the process of not just the blending and the initial finishing, but all of the different types of blend uh, finishings that we did. And then, and then creating blends uh, of even the finished products it created um, products such as uh, seagrass dovetail and vantage where we're, we're blending and we're finishing and then we're blending finishes um, and somehow creating these products with different types of whiskeys blended and finished in different types of casks and blended together to create one type of product. And we've really gotten very good at the process of doing this again with products like dovetail seagrass uh and vantage where where we have multiple whiskeys and multiple casks in one product so the um we've we've really evolved our um blending and finishing process to be able to accomplish that with that the inevitable question of what is next what's coming down the pipe <laughs> so we have lots of different types of finishing casts that we are, are experimenting with right now. Um, you know, pulling samples every day and just figuring out how the pieces fit together. Um, you know, we've got um, one thing that, that you'll actually see here very shortly uh, is a, uh, a new product that is getting ready to hit the shelves. It's actually been shipped and it should be hitting shelves at any, any time now. Uh, called foundation and you know what uh, what foundation is is a five-year-old 100 proof product bourbon that we have created and released this is the first product that we've ever uh, done that was not a cast strength uh, and so that was a lot of fun you know, blending you use using our techniques and our and our our precision blending uh, techniques that we typically use for cast strength products and doing something that was uh, less than cast strength, specifically hundred proof in this case uh, was, was a lot of fun creating this. Um, this new product is um, at a $55 price point too. So it's uh, something that is going to be uh, more approachable for people to get into the barrel line. Uh, it's something that is going to be, it's going to work well in cocktails. Uh, the price point uh, will allow it to be used in cocktails. 
Um, and what you're going to see in when you try this product is that even at a hundred proof, we've, we've managed to, again, use different ages and different grain bills to create and build complexity, um, like we would do with a traditional cast strength product, but at a hundred proof. And just to, to circle around on that a little bit, when you were ideating the foundation, did you, did you have a particular profile in mind that you wanted to achieve or did one develop as you were figuring it out? So it, we, we looked at some of the other products that, that we've created over the years and you made cocktails with them, um, cut different products to different proofs. These are our products and specifically uh, different batches that, that we all liked um, and you know, tried to come up with not an end-all be-all flavor profile, but more of a starting point of where we wanted to sort of initiate the blending process with foundation. Uh, and so we started there and then the, the approach from, from then on very similar to the way we do all of our other blends where uh, we're filling in gaps. Um, you know, what's it missing? What else can we use? Um, you know, what complements the flavors that are in here? And so it was that usual process. And then it was, um, you know, now we have what we think is going to be this finished product. Let's make some cocktails with it and see how it works, which is not something that we traditionally do. Uh, but that's what got us to the finished blend in you know, in foundation. And was there, obviously there's an internal desire to create this new product and have this line extension that is more approachable in, in all the ways that you just described. Uh, was there any pressure from the consumer side? for a product like that? Um, I don't know that I wouldn't say there was direct pressure from the consumer side. Um, I feel like there was, there was room to make the offering. Um, I think ha having something at a lower proof for all the reasons, you know, we we've talked about, uh, is, is, is something that barrels should have available. Uh, to to consumers again for for the the other reasons we've we've discussed already just allowing people access uh to see what we do how we do it it's sort of a a glimpse into the the brand itself you know you you can try something for uh 55 dollars at 100 proof and see the flavor complexities that, that we've created here and um, hopefully spark enough curiosity to where you want to try some of the other stuff that, that we create. So, um, yeah, I think it was, I think it was a good next step for us. Makes sense. And then I'll give you the last question, which is after seeing the first two barrel cast finished bourbons being the Ambrana and the tale of two islands, can we expect more cast finishings? And are there any that you can tease us with? Well, you're absolutely going to get some more cast finished products. Um, we are going to have two uh, next year released. Um, next year, we're going to spread them out a little bit. They're not going to be released at the, the same time. Um, and I think one, I'm, I'm hoping this one gets done next year, but we actually have a group of barrels that, um, to my knowledge and based on our conversations, that no one else in the country has um, at our disposal. Let's just say that. And so we're we're playing with those barrels uh, to see what exactly we want to do with these. So I'll that's a uh, that's a. I may have created some problems for myself here. Uh, I realize that's probably a, a pretty good teaser and a pretty tall order for myself, but um, it should be uh, it should be a fun project if we can pull everything off. You've laid down the gauntlet for yourself on that one. But, <laughs> that's uh, right. <laughs> I think it's a great teaser and cliffhanger. So, Trip, thank you so much for coming on to um, not only talk about the happenings with Barrel, but to help launch this Barrel single barrel release 
of the rye finished in Armagnac casks. I seriously, this stuff is just so good. Um, I wouldn't put out a barrel pick that I didn't like or didn't stand behind. Uh, it's the benefit of not having a store. I don't have to do that. I can really choose which ones I really want to do. And this was just undeniably not only the best of the three, but one of the best uh, finished whiskeys, one of the best whiskeys I've had all year. And I can't wait to have everyone share them, buy them, share them with friends. Uh, and so thank you for coming on to help launch that. Uh, if yeah, thank you. if you miss, absolutely, you are welcome it, back anytime. Yeah. Thank Sorry. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, again, I think you picked a great barrel and, uh, actually I may have to have a pour myself. I actually had a little bit left in our sample bottle at work. So, um, yeah, again, great selection. Fantastic. And in case you guys missed it, uh, earlier in the episode, this is a good time to join Patreon because there's going to be some good benefits coming up for this barrel and for barrels coming up. And with that, Trip, hang out with me for a minute just after recording to close things out. This has been a very special bonus episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. As of the time this goes live, you can now jump to the link that will be in the show notes for this bottle. Uh, there, well, you know what? I'm just going to leave it at that. There will be a link in the bio, and if you still don't want it after hearing what we've been talking about, I can't help you on this one. <laughs> So anyway, look for the link in the show notes uh, and there will be a new episode on Wednesday as well. Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoy it. And I'll see you all in a few days. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps or email me at david at whiskeymywedderingcom with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedding That's whiskey with an E for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon to resume under the influencer series. And $25 a month means you join the barrel share club. Each month barrel share club members get to try products sent to me for review bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or at WhiskeyRingPodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at WhiskeyRing. You can follow on Facebook at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers, thank for the support, and see you next time.